show all about people's personal journeys to Bitcoin. In this episode, I speak with Dusan Matushka, an entrepreneur with a lofty goal. He is on a mission to educate 100 million people about Bitcoin by 2030. We chat about Bitcoin education, Bitcoin mining, and the challenges faced for EU citizens in regards to privacy at the moment. Listen on to learn how entrepreneurship can sometimes come naturally, how best to approach different types of people when teaching about Bitcoin, and how liberating a digital asset like Bitcoin can be when it comes to where one lives. Dushan and I had a great conversation. I thought his enthusiasm for Bitcoin was fantastic, and I love the concept of teaching teachers as the key to Bitcoin education. Dushan, once again, thank you so much for your time. I look forward to hearing how all of your ventures come to fruition. Always reach out if there's anything I can do to help. Now, I'd like to take a quick moment to mention my sponsor, FastBitcoins.com. They're a Bitcoin-only exchange based in the Isle of Man on a really exciting journey. If you'd like to learn more about them, I encourage you to search back through my episode library and listen to a couple of key conversations. Firstly, Danny Brewster, the founder-CEO, and secondly, Nathan Smith, the chief compliance officer. Both stories give an excellent insight into the people building the business. In the coming weeks, you can expect a custom referral link, which you can also use on sign-up to get the best possible rates. We haven't quite put the finishing touches on it, so please keep your eyes peeled. Now, on with the show. Hello and welcome back to Bitcoin with Jake. Today I'm speaking with Dushan Matushka. Welcome Dushan, how are you? Hi Jake, I'm doing great. Brilliant, and thank you so much for joining me today. So, uh, this is a show about Bitcoin, as you probably guessed, and we talk about people's personal journeys to Bitcoin. Everyone's got a unique lens, and what I love understanding is what people have understood prior to coming across Bitcoin and, and what their experience means in connection to what Bitcoin actually is. So we'll try and unpack that over the next hour or so. Um, to kick things off, when did you first come across Bitcoin? Was it a you know a passing comment at university and a mate's trying to buy some drugs online, or was it like a good friend of yours was a you know high profile investor and was getting involved? Everyone has a slightly different angle. So talk to me about when you first came across it. Yeah, the, the first interaction or the first hearing about that was uh, somewhere around 2015, when uh, with my friend he was studying um, IT school. Just mentioned it to me. But at the time, you know, as most of the people are like, oh, it's a scam, it's, it's, it's a bubble, it's just this geeky money. So at the time, I didn't pay attention and I just, just, I just forget about it. Just like random information that came to my world. Mm. Um, and I got back to it uh, like deeply in 2017, sometimes in the summer. Uh, I had a company at the time. The company is still alive, but I, I left it for my uh, friends and colleagues to continue so um, we were building outdoor workout parks and we needed a new website. So I called my friend Peter, who was a really great web designer, and he came to an office. We started talking and he told me like, you know what, Dushan, so right now I'm not fully focused on the websites because I'm, uh, I'm studying and trading Bitcoin. I was like, oh my God, man, like it, it, they got you as well. You really fell into this scam. So I was really feeling bad for him. But I said, like, okay, I trust Peter. So Peter, please, so tell me why, why you, why now, and and everything. And he started to speak and and discuss with me not the reasons or not the price things, not why we're going to the moon and all these kind of things about the price, but more about what the Bitcoin technology can allow to people around the world in economies where they have high inflation rates, where they don't have uh, banks around. You know, how, how Bitcoin can really help them. Um, so we are really speaking about this social um, social side of Bitcoin or this philosophy side of Bitcoin. And that's what really got me at the time. But I still I was still thinking like, okay, there needs to be something wrong and Peter is missing something. So when I came home, I started to study everything I could find. Uh, videos, podcasts, and there was almost nothing in Slovak language at the time. Um, and I, I got really deep into that. And I realized it's like 3 or 4 a.m. when I was like, oh, my God, I should go to sleep. <laughs> and uh, the <laughs> next day, I sent a message to my colleagues and friends like, guys, I'm not coming to work for about two, three days. Uh, I want to study Bitcoin. Yep. <laughs> so that was, that was my getting deeper into rabbit hole during those days. And I was, I was falling in love with the, with the thing and learning every day a bunch of new stuff. 
And after that, uh, I realized because I loved education, I was teaching mathematics, physics, and, and English during my university studies. And I, I said, like, this is amazing tag, and I want to teach it to people. So I started to do free consultations. Um, but again, I knew maybe 30, 40% uh, of what I should have known. And every time I, I got a question from, from some of my friends that came to the this consulta consultation times, I was like, okay, I don't know the answer to that, but I will write it down. I will find the answer and I will come back to you. So this was the process how I really learned uh, on a fast way and, and really reacted to all these kind of uh, questions, doubts and everything. And later on in a few months, I did my first uh, public workshop and I started to uh, started my journey as a Bitcoin educator. Wonderful. And, and so you mentioned the Slovak language. So for those people out there that don't know what that means, can you uh, teach us about where you live, where you grew up and and what's um, mm -hmm. what the Slovak language is? Yeah, so um, I live uh, I live in Slovakia. I was born here in a small, small city about 40,000 people. And currently I'm living in the capital of Bratislava. So we're located in a central Europe, small country, about 5 million people um, next to Czech Republic, next to Austria, Ukraine as well. That's why we are kind of afraid a little bit at these times. Um, and so it's a small, it's a small country. Um, and, but there is a lot of Bitcoin things happening around here. Uh, one thing that we have, like the first place that we have in the world, let's say, in Europe, is that Slovakia had the first Bitcoin ATM in Europe in 2013. <laughs> and it was a nice story because uh, there was a Coindesk or some, some article on Coindesk, like Finland and in Helsinki, the first Bitcoin ATM in Europe. And my friend was like, wow, I set up the ATM here one week before they claimed they did it. So he wrote them, he, he claimed, he, he showed uh, yeah, the photograph proof of that, or something. And they said like, okay, sorry guys, Slovakia has the, the first place in Europe for, for setting up the ATM. So we got this on the, on the world map of, of Bitcoin. <laughs> wow. Okay, cool. And so what I love to understand is, is often there are uh, like financial services difficulties in places that aren't so, you know, commonly spoken about in western media specifically you know i grew up in the uk and very dominated by that type of um of information so um what's it like growing up in slovakia in terms of a you know a financial product um you know is there lots of banks how does the money work uh, what's a bit of a history about the country in terms of how it functions economically um i'd love to learn some more about the background of it all mm -hmm. so we've been a socialistic country till 89 and we've been in Czechoslovakia till 93. So we've been a country out of, of two countries, let's say. But I was born in 1993. Uh, I was already born into Slovakia. My sister was born uh, into Czechoslovakia. Um, <laughs> but growing up here, you know, it's, it's not that bad. I mean, we have banks all around the place. You know, uh, we, we can pay with telephones, with, uh, with cards everywhere. So mainly the capital because you know the capital is really different than the regions the regions are more slowly developing as it, as it used to be or as it is almost in most everywhere places as well yeah 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 in most places but the capital is growing super fast i had a friend right now he was uh, in amsterdam right now he's there on the on the bitcoin conference and he told me like some of the prices for food in restaurants are the same as in slovakia which is crazy the prices of uh, of housing is skyrocketing here there's a huge amount of development. Wow. So um, growing up here, you know, the financial products were really abundant, let's say. So we didn't have any problems. That's why it's really uh, interesting to speak with people about Bitcoin, because many of them are asking, why do we need it? Um, um, what's the reason? We have PayPal's, we have cards, we have telephones and a bunch of these technologies. Why do we need Bitcoin? And it was a big big difference in uh, for example when i was in honduras in in uh, in Roatan, where people you know the banks work a bit differently you know they it's it's harder uh, to to get a bank account um it's uh, there are big lines of people standing up uh, in front of the bank waiting for the checks to to reimburse um, the fees for car transactions are really high there 
So, and and people are really really open to to Bitcoin in in Honduras in in Roatan where we are setting up the academy right now. So Slovakia, you know, it's like things are working. We have Euro since 20, uh, 2009. So uh, basically, just like in European Union, in, in other countries, like in Austria, uh, we are really like the Bratislava and Vienna are basically the two, two closest capitals in the world. And um, it's working quite well on this financial level. Okay. Interesting, because it's, it's something that you learn about when you start looking at Bitcoin and the, the kind of product market fit is different for different people in some ways. So like whether it's a store yeah. of value or a unit of account, there's the, the different forms or different use cases for money apply to people differently. But um, it's an interesting problem in that, you know, for example, I'm trying to persuade my siblings to um, buy some more Bitcoin as our family trust, but they just, they just don't yeah. see the value proposition in the same way I do and are very comfortable mm. with the other investment products that, are being used if anything they prefer different things to bitcoin uh, and so how do you persuade people that have abundant financial services that bitcoin's useful like have you, well, have you come up with a stories. strategy that's useful for friends and family in slovakia where they don't have those problems like exist in honduras for example like you know we should all be doing this in a sense is like pooling orange pill techniques for certain types of character. Do you know what I mean? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I get what you mean. So when I when I really fell in love with Bitcoin, um, initially I was really trying to persuade everybody. Mm. And I was trying to orange pilling everybody. You know, like these memes are going like um, on a dinner with your family. Like you're trying not to speak about Bitcoin. <laughs> and you're really trying hard. <laughs> so my my first years or first first months was uh, were like this. Right now, I'm more relaxed in that. I'm not, you know, this uh, militant trying to push it to everybody. Mm. Um, I'm just putting out content and people know that I I work with Bitcoin. I, I'm, I'm doing education and they are going, you know, they are approaching me and I'm, I'm, I'm helping them on this level. But when somebody is interested or asking me like, so tell me why and they are skeptical, you know, most of the time I'm speaking about the history of money, why a lot of money's failed, and I'm, I'm telling them stories from the history. Uh, one that I love particularly is the story of Yap Island and the rice stones. You know, these this circular large stones uh, made out of, uh, out of uh, limestone and how they ended up, uh, what made them fail as a currency, as a money. Uh, then stories from from Roman era where the Roman emperors were doing coin clippings or they melted the coins down and mixed them with different um, different metals to make them less uh, valuable with a less amount of silver. So a bunch of these stories and people are really like uh, understanding that if somebody has control over money, then they can really misuse this control and, and most of the time in expense of the people that are saving um, saving money. And also I'm telling them stories like recently the one from Lebanon when where the guy came to a bank with a gun claiming to get their uh, his money without the bank giving it to him, right? So I'm trying to show people that money in the bank is not your own money. And on these stories, um, people realize, okay, they should really think about it more or they should... Um, learn about Bitcoin more because it's something that something different than what they expected. And only when they are kind of willing to, okay, please tell me more and I want to learn more, then I go deeper into Bitcoin because otherwise it's not sticking. If I'm trying to tell them or convince them about all the characteristics and, and, and the beauties of Bitcoin, they don't have the, the need, right? They don't have the question why they need it. So first of all, I'm trying to show them why would they need Bitcoin, and then they are really open to to listen to to that more and really uh, go into the rabbit hole. Yeah, so it's almost like you um, you use historical analogies to highlight a problem that's actually very simple to understand, which is well, hang on, 
Yep. What if someone who has the same money as you is able to have twice as much money because they can manipulate the money by, you know, as you mentioned, like sailing mm-hmm. into Yap Island with extra stones that are fake or, yeah. uh, you know, chopping a coin in half and, and filling up the other half with metal that's worthless. Um, mm. It's a really interesting lens. Okay, cool. Well, I will definitely try and inherit that in my own uh, techniques to persuading people. Because I also really enjoy historical context. Like there's some great stuff out there. Ter de Meister's articles that you can read about, for instance, the the Reformation and the importance of the printing press and how that completely and utterly revolutionized a particular era of history that actually I didn't know too much about, but was a very important one as part mm-hmm. of the UK at least. And, and that's like, wow, this is this is such an important time in our lo- in, in human history in a sense. Um let's dig in a bit further basically it's that kind of prompt Mm -hmm. isn't it okay all right i need to learn Mm -hmm. some more about this and then here we are on a bitcoin podcast in different parts of the world talking about it it's absolutely fantastic (laughs) so so um dushan i'd love to understand a bit more about your journey so you mentioned that you were working for this other company um was that straight out of university that you decided you mentioned it was like outdoor sports parks or something you were building um did you study technology as a student or something or what's given you like this this passion to jump into Bitcoin and become an educator. So on my uh, on my secondary school, in my high school, I was uh, studying uh, IT, IT development. So I wanted to be a programmer. But in my third grade, uh, when we decided to really pick up a school and, and go to the school, I, I knew that I want to go to programming school. But I had a huge argument with my IT teacher and I said, I would never do programming because of that. So maybe it's a pity. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I would I would get into Bitcoin sooner, <laughs> but m- nobody knows. So I ended up in a economic schools and, and management studies. And when I was 21, we founded a company uh, because we were like big fans of outdoor street workout. And we, we built a community in our small city. And we decided, we saw that people want to have these parks that we built for our city. So we decided to set up a company to to build these parks around. And the company is growing. We built more than 300, 400 parks already around Europe, five countries, six countries. So, uh, but in 2017, 2018, I needed to decide what to focus on. And... At the time, I already knew that I want it to be Bitcoin because it gave me so much more. Um, I, I had much more passion in that. I saw it as a, something that's that's worth pursuing. It's worth educating around the world. So I said to my colleagues, to my co-founders, like guys, um, this is this is my decision, and uh, and and I kind of gave them um, all the the responsibilities. I'm still. I think the, the largest shareholder, I don't know, I still, I don't know yet, but uh, I want to sell the shares and just focus on Bitcoin. Okay. So, so uh, yeah, we founded it on university, I think the first or second grade of university. Wow. And it's interesting to me, I've, I've already spoken to a number of people on this podcast, like entrepreneurship comes very naturally to some people. Like the idea of starting mm-hmm. a company when you're 21, most, most would be like, no way. Like I'm, I'm studying, I'm going to go get a job or whatever. Um, what do you think is it about the mentality of entrepreneurs that attracted you to making that decision? Was it something that you'd always wanted to do, start a company? And, you know, I would argue that adopting Bitcoin is, is like investing in a startup in some ways. Like you're buying a new mm-hmm. thing. It's potentially extremely valuable, but it isn't yet. And there's a lot of work to build it all out. So it's a very, very entrepreneurial thing to attach yourself to, even though you describe yourself as a Bitcoin educator, which, you know, in theory is is being a teacher. And that's a very, very old profession that doesn't sound like it's innovating at all. So um, mm-hmm. talk to me a bit about the mentality behind those decisions. Was it something you always wanted to do, start a company? And then equally, what from that experience have you been able to take through into the education side of things? Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't something I wanted always to do. It just came naturally. Um, I knew that I had in my in, in myself this kind of sense of freedom that I want to do things my own way. I, I want to manifest, let's say, my vision to the world. And this 
entrepreneurship came naturally. So I like to um, explore things. So for example, on, on high school, we used to ship uh, headphones from, from China because at the time, you know, the AliExpress were, was booming and eBay. So I was, uh, I was shipping in the Beats uh, headphones <laughs> and they cost like $12 uh, to ship it in. And they were, we were selling them for 60 euros. And euros wow. and dollars were approximately the same thing at wow. the time, or euro were even stronger. So we we make some amount of money on that as a, as a young guys, you know, uh, seventeen, eighteen years old. Awesome. And I liked the the idea that okay, we figured out how the system works and how we can make money, and and both parties were happy about it, you know. In the end, so I like this thing like okay, I do a service, I got paid for that. Um, all of us were happy after that, so it's like a voluntary exchange. That's why I really loved about that. And for the Octago, for our workout company, again, it came just from passion. So we were, we were street workout workouters. We were doing the sport and we built the workout park for ourselves with the city. We, we went to them. We inspired them like, look, we are a group. We are spending our free time out in the, in the, in the park, you know, doing the sport. So please build for us a proper workout park. And they, they said like, okay, let's do it. Uh, but they needed guidance. So we gave them guidance, how it should look like, what materials to use and everything. We, we drew up how it should look like. And when we did an opening, even like 400 people came there, they were asking like, how can we have the same parks in our own cities? And we said like, wow, so people want it. There is a demand. Wow. We know how to do that because we went over the process. So why not to do a business? Uh, we we didn't know anything about manufacturing at the time. Uh, my dad was helping us a lot because he had some skill in, uh, I mean, manufacturing. So it just really came naturally out of a passion. And I spent, you know, uh, since 20, 2014 when we started the company till 2018. So four years uh, I was managing the company and, and focusing all my time into that. Um, so... It just came naturally, you know, and I knew that it's something I want to do because uh, it gives me it gave me the sense of purpose that we're really helping people to stay outdoors and to move their bodies. And we were reshaping, you know, um, the the nature around us and the feeling when we built the park and they were, you know, I was walking down the road and seeing, you know, families and kids playing in the park, doing the workout it was amazing feeling like you build something and it's going to last 10, 20 years. Maybe my kids will be, you know, playing there as well one day. And this gave me feeling like, wow, this is what I love to do. I love to create things and, and be part of the change, not just like one wheel in the system, but really reshaping and deciding where to go, how to do that and so on. And I, I can echo your sentiments in terms of the, there's something very exciting about, entrepreneurship like starting something from scratch and talking to people yeah. about what do you see as an opportunity and why and dissecting ideas good from bad what went wrong what did you learn from it mm -hmm. how did you improve and yeah. you know, as you as you said there was a demand that you had that demand you satisfied along the way you learned how to create that product and then other people are like we want the same thing it's like it's absolutely natural mm -hmm. to start selling that product to other people um mm -hmm. Okay, and so you'd gone through this and you decided, okay, I'm going to listen to, I think you mentioned your friend who was a web designer. What was his name? Sorry, Peter. Peter, Peter. Yeah, okay, so shout out to Peter wherever he is. The, yeah, yeah, the, I'm the, telling the, like, everybody. Sucked like, you into the Bitcoin. Guy who so, yeah. so you mentioned already that it was the kind of the social and, and philosophical impact of what Bitcoin might mean that really caught your attention. Um, mm -hmm. Go into a little more detail on that. So, you know, maybe this can include not necessarily what you were thinking at the time, but how your your thought process has developed over time, um, and you know what really drives you every day to get up and teach people about Bitcoin. Hmm. So, yeah, <clears throat> since I, since I was studying economics and and mathematics, I was really like I was mostly learning about this Keynesian economics, you know, this this central plan thing, and this was pro promoted to us as that's how mm. we we need to do that, and inflation is necessary, and government needs to spend money, all these kind of things, you know. And then 
and I, I, I never liked, you know, authorities. I never liked um, the oppression from above. So I was really trying every time with everything to kind of break free. So when Bitcoin came, it kind of showed me like, okay, this might be a tool for the change. And my my mindset or my my set of let's say values changed a little bit as well because I I was drawn more into uh, libertarian economics, you know, Austrian economics, um, a new era or new dimension of, of digital privacy and digital self-defense open to me. So what what Bitcoin brought to me was like a complete new sense of of who am I and what are really my values deep down. Because with the company that we had with the with the outdoor street workouts, we were mostly dealing with uh with public money, let's say with with cities, municipalities, yeah. and you know, local governments. Government money so essentially. Was, yeah. Yeah, it was the government money basically, and I I didn't like it, but I wasn't I wasn't sure what I don't like about that. And when I found Bitcoin, and went deeper into that, I realized okay, I don't want to support a system anymore like this. Um, and it was rotten, right? It, it was rotten inside. So that was also one of the decisions why I decided to to go into Bitcoin because it really manifested my values and how I feel, how I want to live much better than you know visiting governments and like telling them you know and they they decide with public money that they want to do a workout park but you know the the, the city would maybe needed a, a new road or whatever but they would just build a park i was happy because you know we get the money we build it but uh, the people were like some of them were super happy some of them were like why we build this because we need some different stuff you know so so this was for me like uh, I don't want to support this very much. Mm. So so that was why I decided to go deeper into Bitcoin. And sorry, so the, the the libertarian or Austrian economics that you mentioned was that a subject that you'd research prior to learning about Bitcoin? No, no. I just heard about that, but I, it was just somewhere on the surface and just somewhere there. <laughs> but I never never dig deeper into that. I didn't have time, you know, when you're building a startup. I didn't have time to do anything else, just, you know, just the work, basically. It's, so a, it's a very, very, um, it's a niche form of economics. I mean, no one really yeah. talks about it. It's also, I'm the same. So I went to a business school and did my business management degree and was heavily influenced by Keynesian thinking. And as you said, it's all about central planning, government stimulus, reduce unemployment, increase disposable income, blah, 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 blah. Um, but no one can explain why there's a boom bust every 10 years. And yeah. it's just given that like central banking is totally fine. Like don't think yeah. about central banking, just work out how to make money. Yeah, don't question don't, that. Don't, don't ask what, it, it, don't it ask what money like actually this. is. Um, yeah. But it's interesting. So how far is Bratislava to Vienna? Like 50 kilometers or Whoa. 50, 60. It's really so, close. So, I mean, I, I would only guess that, you know, you're so close to the home of Austrian economics. You know, I'm just going through a great <laughs> book at the moment called The Dow of Capital that my friend Nathan gave me. Shout out to Nathan. Uh, to Nathan mm -hmm. And reading about, you know, Karl Menger and then what happened during that process. Like, it's it's just incredible how this this way of thinking has been buried for like a hundred years. Like there's been people yeah. in a niche form of economics still talking about it. Ludwig Mises is obviously in the States become more famous over time, but it's it's ignored. Mm -hmm. It's completely ignored. And um, that's interesting in itself. Like, why is that? Um, and I'd like yeah, to also like think? highlight- Why is it? <laughs> yeah, and I'd like to highlight like something you mentioned as well, which was, um, you know, Bitcoin is a tool for change and digital self-defense. That's a really interesting mm -hmm. concept. So, yeah, just teach me a bit more about how Austrian economics has influenced your thinking and what you like about it. And then why do you think that Bitcoin is a form of digital self-defense? Mm -hmm. So um, the thinking process of, of, um, of me and economics right now is more like let's make things that are not in a in a private space let's make them private let's let's try to crowdfund more things you know i did a crowdfunding for a bitcoin book for kids for translation and you know seeing the power of crowds when something happens and they want to help you know that that's giving me a hope I, and before i didn't see it as a tool for 
uh, sourcing the public goods. But right now, the more I learn and dig deep into Austrian economics, the more I see, you know, what else does the government uh, or doesn't the government need to finance? And we can do it by ourselves, maybe even more efficiently. Mm. So it kind of gives me this overview of like, we don't need a state basically. And I'm trying to do as little interaction with the state as possible. And uh, I'm changing my, or I changed my um, my residency to Paraguay right now uh, because no of way. the tax purposes and, and more freedom purposes, you know, and because we are also starting a business there of, of Bitcoin mining. Um, and, you know, once once I got into ocean economics, it gives me, it really gave me hope that the world, that the world can be healed and that the market forces, you know, is the, that's the, that's how we can manifest the good for everybody, you know, when on the voluntary basis of, of exchange. So it kind of gives me like, oh, this is how it works and that's right and that's wrong and this is more freedom related and this is not. So it kind of gives me this moral compass and I'm not afraid then to, you know, point out to things that are immoral in my point of view, like taxes and so on. Um and that's what I didn't know before, because it was kind of like a foggy thing in the bag, you know, like we need to have the central banks, we need to have this central planning. Mm. But right now, I'm more like, okay, with like, okay, it's reality, but we don't need to have it this way. And that's why I want to work on Bitcoin to kind of bring this change uh, a little bit faster. And why I, why I say that it's like a tool for, for digital self-defense I'm I'm also doing like a small workshops on on digital self defense, you know, teaching people about password managers, VPNs, Tor, and all these all these tools that they can use. Um, and Bitcoin is one of them. Bitcoin is a tool for self defense in financial uh, financial uh, era or in in financial uh, industry. So uh, yeah, you can be your own bank. You don't need to be. Uh, you don't need to rely on authorities or or institutions to keep your money and to give you the money when you want them you know i had a client and when we talked about bitcoin he was like oh my god so the bank is like uh i imagine it like going out for a beer and every day i need to ask my wife if she gives me money for for a beer like five dollars and if she doesn't i i cannot go to, uh, for a beer right <laughs> and it, it was for him it was like a such a revelation or such like oh my god this is how it works so he was super surprised by realizing that you know so so that's what i'm trying to teach people to to get the this power into their own hands with bitcoin with self-custody of bitcoin of mm. course because you know having it on exchange basically the same as having your money in the bank um and and this is why why i like it a, a lot it's it's just an infinitely fascinating rabbit hole, isn't it? I, I love it as well. There's just yeah. so many cool angles to it that yes. suddenly your yeah. your brain is able to think in a different way, and that that new avenue of thinking, it, it's almost like that the foundations for understanding how the world functions actually mm -hmm. make sense. Yeah. And yeah, and it's completely. because of this this idea that like you know human action and praxeology are the most important ways of understanding you know human interaction and the amount of unbelievably boring economics classes that i've sat through where <laughs> they show you this model and they say yep this is how it works and just yeah. it just didn't catch my attention at all and then you spend you know yeah. 10 years or so in business and those those lectures are retarded you know they're just not it's just not how the world works and then suddenly yeah. you go down this hole and ah oh, this starts to make a bit more sense okay mm -hmm. Um, well, there's two things you've touched on there that I can't help but ask about because I'm personally intrigued. So you've taken up residency in Paraguay. Now, you're going to live in Bratislava or you're going to move to Paraguay. How does that actually function as a relationship? And, and the point being is that we don't any longer live in an environment where your wealth is your physical house or your physical cafe or your physical factory or your physical pub. You can actually mm -hmm. own Bitcoin and live anywhere and take all your mm -hmm. wealth with you. So what's the mentality behind opting for a, a different residency somewhere else? And and uh, and where's that taking you? 
Yeah, so it was the decision was uh, in the beginning of this year. Uh, basically, one thing was that uh, the privacy issue with uh, in in EU is going down. You know, the, it's yeah. it's they are trying to really the, destroy all the all the anonymity, privacy, and in, in financial and whatever terms. So we're trying to search for a better place to live, and as a plan B. And then when uh, when the, uh, February came, when the war broke out in in Ukraine, mm. it was it gave us even more like okay, we need to find uh, a plan B with my girlfriend, with my colleague and family. Yeah. And at that time, you know, my my friend um, is really crypto OG Bitcoiner, you know. Is uh, um, doing penetration testing and and security. Uh, he has an IT security company. He was buying Bitcoin when it was less than a dollar. Wow! He's a great guy. He's a great guy, and uh, he's doing uh, what we call like his company is called Liberation Travel. So he's helping Czechs and Slovaks mostly to find a better place to live, a more free place to live, mm. and one of the easiest way how you can get a new residency somewhere else is in paraguay or uruguay or panama but paraguay is one of the one of the best uh one thing there's a territorial taxation so when you have customers from abroad you don't need to pay taxes as a physical person on that um so that was one thing and the other because we are mining bitcoin since last year so for, for about one and a half years um and right now we are moving to Paraguay with our machines. We are in a month shipping them there, buying new ones. There was also reason why we said, okay, Paraguay might be the place to, to do business, to spend some time. But for a living, um, it seems that I will be going back and forth between maybe Slovakia, uh, but also Roatan in Honduras. That's the place where we are setting up the, the Bitcoin Academy right now. And that's the place that I can imagine for couple of months a year to really be living in because it's it's a beautiful caribbean paradise amazing people there um an amazing jurisdiction which is uh, bitcoin oriented where bitcoin is legal tender no capital gains on that and so on <clears throat> so i think i'll be going around paraguay roatan and uh, and slovakia in uh, in the next year and we were planning with my girlfriend in in january to go for six months to roatan and see if that's the place to live, or we will be just going back and forth between Europe and and, and Rotan. So um, it's kind of new thing for me. And um, in the next year, I will be deciding on on how to move on with the next chapter when we want to have kids and and mm. so on. Well, yeah. So I'm I'm now I'm now two babies in. So I'm not as mobile nice. as I once was. But the the plan that you've just laid out it makes sense. It makes so much sense. And I'm I'm going to guess, but in ten years from now, I think a lot of people would have made a similar a similar suggestion and 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 done that. And it's just rational. Mm. Like, do you want to continue to pay high taxes? Do you want to continue to live in a place where you're not being listened to? Do you want to continue to live in? I mean, the threat of war is a whole other kettle of fish entirely. I mean, I'm sitting in Australia; yeah. we're not under that um, same uh, dark cloud in a sense, but. The the point is is you know providing that there's not some ridiculous fucking lockdown and everyone's under some kind mm. of mandated kind of can't go anywhere type uh, situation then free travel should ensure the ability to move wherever you want and these mm. kind of setups like they make sense um, how cool and sorry so to 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 touch on um, your Bitcoin mining so you've been mining in Slovakia somewhere and you're looking to move over to Paraguay what's the the reasoning behind that. Yeah, so it was it was really funny story because um, I was just doing you know Bitcoin education, doing webinars and consultations, and on one of these consultations, a guy came last year in uh, February, and we were just having a good talk. You know, I, I was offering this thirty minutes free diagnostic consultation so that I can tell people where to go and how to approach Bitcoin, and in the end, he said. You know what? Uh, I have a mother-in-law, and she owns a power plant, a biogas power plant. Wow. Do you think it might be good for mining? I was like, well, maybe if she's the owner, um, <laughs> let's meet with her and and know what was the price that she can give us. He's like, okay, I'm gonna arrange that. In two weeks, we went on a meeting with this guy, 
with his mother-in-law and she was really excited. She's like, you know, older lady, about 50, 60, something like that, but she's really young in the spirit. And she was like, okay, everybody was approaching me with this Bitcoin mining thing, you know, and telling me I need to give them 50% discount on the price. But you know what? For you guys, since you're my 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 family, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you um you know the better prices and you can start with me. I was like, oh my god! And I do the math calculations behind it, and it really made sense. But it, that was at, at a time when uh, the China was kind of dropping out. Yeah. Uh, so the hash rate went down, difficulty went down. So we had really great time mining, and then it starts to grow up and. Uh, you know, current electricity situation in Europe was is crazy. So ten years, it was basically still the same price, and then like bam, ten times higher or wow, nine nine times, yeah, interesting. times higher. So, so the, the difficulty adjustment, like the hash rate, is fucking high, and your electricity costs have gone up by ten. Yeah, hours. and the price is low. So you know, everything yeah. is like in, in the wrong place. So right now, we needed to switch up the machines uh, two weeks ago, mm. and we are we already. Um, have the place to go in Paraguay. Interesting. So have we'll, you? We'll okay. Be moving, moving, moving machines there. And our reasoning behind mining is that we want to use the money, the Bitcoin from mining, to finance the education operations. Yep. So that's why we found the company called MTH. And our big mission is really to focus on education and finance it with the mine Bitcoin. Um, and and that will be like one of the sustainable businesses that we want to do. You know, mine and reinvest back to community for education Brilliant. purposes. And so when it came to finding a location in Paraguay, you know, I, I have a, a Telegram group here in Australia that I set up, Bitcoin Mining Australia. Anyone listening that hasn't had a look, take a look. But the finding stranded energy assets is actually very difficult. And specifically finding mm. stranded energy assets that are monetizable at very, very low electricity costs very very difficult so how how did you find the site in paraguay obviously you don't have to release all the details per se but um again was someone approaching you because you were a you know a face that was promoting bitcoin as an educator and put a shout out to say anyone in paraguay looking to mine we want to move there or um i'm just intrigued as to how that happened um i was researching paraguay for a while before that because uh it's, it's one of the best locations currently in the world for multiple reasons. One is that Paraguay is the largest exporter of the electricity in the world. Wow. Basically, what they, what they produce, they consume only about 60%, 50-60%. The rest, they are selling for really low prices to Brazil, to Argentina. They have 100% hydroelectricity, so they don't have anything else than hydro, which is also something that not any other country has this um and the price per kilowatt hour right now is about 3.6 cents which mm. is us which dollars is amazing right yeah us dollars so paraguay was really like a stranded like they had excess amount of electricity they have the second largest power plant in the world and for many years it was the first largest and not only hydro power plant but the first largest power plant in the whole world, like 16 gigawatts of, of output. And uh, now the the Chinese Three Gorge Dam is the first, and Paraguay Itaipu is the second largest currently. But still, it's it's a huge project. I was there this year. It's unbelievably, um, like, it's magnificent like, what, what people can do, um, you know, to, like, wow. it was yeah, Engineering is very cool, yeah. Yes, exactly. So these were the reasons. And then when I when I came there to do my residency, I met some miners. I met people who were offering, you know, hosting spaces, selling land. So we, we started to do research. We started to cooperate and communicate with multiple of them. And right now, like, we know, like, where to go. We, we have few offers for, for the land, yeah. uh, for hosting spaces. So right now we are researching the, the whole roadmap, how Brilliant. to take that. But we already have the place where we can move in, in October, November. Well done. That's fascinating, isn't it? So the, the, the resilience of Bitcoin doesn't truly reveal itself until you start learning about the mining. And what mm -hmm. I mean by that is, oh, governments will just switch it off, you know, as a standard kind of it won't work type of comment. Mm -hmm. And it's like, 
yeah. how? How will they actually do that? And this person will, they won't have an answer because they just haven't, they haven't looked into it. And who does, mm-hmm. to be honest? So here we are talking about Bitcoin mining, seriously niche subject. But the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Bitcoin mine you were running became um, unviable for a number of different macroeconomic reasons. And you can just unplug them, ship them halfway around the world, and those problems have disappeared because you managed to change one of your inputs, essentially. And mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. fascinating. So you, you can switch it off for a small amount of time in one very small section of the mining infrastructure and then turn it back on again somewhere else where it's better, you know, it's going to better serve the network. Um, mm-hmm. And that's an incredibly resilient kind of characteristic to something that's a very nascent technology that people still don't really understand um, mm-hmm. and, and gives me huge faith that, you know, if you're buying Bitcoin because you think it's going to go up in price, well, it might well do that. But it's also not going to just disappear. So where are we around twenty thousand US dollars today? Okay, we might get some all-out bloodbath to fifteen or ten grand. But is it going to go to zero, disappear forever, go bankrupt? You know, people just don't get it when they're they're buying stocks and shares. Like, unless it gets bailed out by a government, a company could disappear off the face of the planet tomorrow, mm-hmm. completely mm-hmm. bankrupt, zero gone. Bitcoin won't yeah. do that when you start looking at how it's built in the background, and that I love. Um, but I won't, I won't rabbit on too long about that. So something I'd like to come back to, you, you touched on it towards the start, Dushan, and a second time again just now. So what is the, the Bitcoin Academy in, in Honduras? And how did you start that? Or how did you get involved in that? And what's the impact that it's having? Mm-hmm. So it was a real coincidence that we, we ended up in Roatan. I, like, last year, I had no idea that the, that, that the island even exists. Uh, but our um, my friend Robert, who is mining uh, Bitcoin with us, uh, he told me, you know, I've been to this place. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's in Caribbean, and I'm buying a land there. And I was like, wow. what? Like, what is that? Like, I'm is just it, looking is at some Honduras? pictures. Where is Honduras? Beautiful. Yeah, it's really beautiful. And he was sending me pictures, videos from the beaches. I was like, oh my god, I need to go there. So the first idea was to, okay, let's just visit. Let's just visit the place. So um, this year in March, we went there with my girlfriend, with my colleague that we are mining with. And hey, with babe, family. come with me. You want to check this place out? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Something yeah. like that. But we did, we did like a whole month trip. We started in Roatan, then we went to Miami on a Bitcoin conference. Cool. And then we ended up in uh, Dominican Republic. So it was like a long term, like a month, month trip. Um, and that's why we we were, we said like okay let's do the Roatan. So we were just traveling there for ten days, uh, back and forth, you know, enjoying the place. But I realized there is something like it popped up on a, on a Twitter. There is something like Prospera Summit going on, and I was like, what is that? And I checked the Prospera website, um, like what is the thing? And it was claimed like okay, you know, this new jurisdiction, Bitcoin friendly on the island. I was like. Oh, this looks scammy, you know. I saw these kind of things before, all these Satoshi Islands in Caribbean, and you know, only on the paper, never in the in, in real life. So I was like, nah, maybe not. But the, the summit was at the same days that I was in Rajasthan. So I was like, okay, let's just go and explore that. And I came there and I was really surprised. I was really expecting, you know, five people under the tent on a green uh you know grass just speaking about how they're going to change the world and there was like you know in prospera it was already you know building a beautiful beautiful co-working building uh, called better building then the factory was being built next to it um a residency and i was like oh my god so this is not on the paper this is already happening and about 50 60 people came there on the summit you know from all around the world uh, a lot of crypto people, a lot of Bitcoiners, a lot of really OGs from 2012, you know, 2011, uh, people that got really soon into Bitcoin. And I was fascinated by by the people that came to the summit and that what's happening there. And I realized that Prospera is this new jurisdiction being developed that has uh, a, a huge level of freedom and liberty from Honduras and that they can operate on, on their own terms um, in wow. most, of the, most of the time. So um, they had Bitcoin as a legal tender. So you can basically pay the taxes in Bitcoin or, or different cryptos. 
Um, you can also, you don't pay taxes, uh, capital gain taxes on Bitcoin. And I was like, oh my God, this is fascinating. And we had the opportunity to present ideas that we would we could develop in Prospera, in the jurisdiction. And at a time already for a few months, I had the idea in my mind to build a Bitcoin education center, like a really place where people can come, they can learn about Bitcoin, they can set up wallets, there will be ATM, a cafeteria, something like we had in, in Bratislava, which was called Parallel Police. And uh, maybe you know the Prague Parallel Police in Czech Republic. It's really well-known uh, Bitcoin place. And it was the first crypto-only cafeteria in the world. So it was set up in 2014. So they are really long time in that. And uh, we set it up the, the Slovak version and our academy is something similar to that. You know, a place where people can come, have coffee and learn about Bitcoin. So I presented the idea and they liked it. And in the first row, there was a guy sitting and I didn't know it, it was a CEO of Prosper at the time. And he told me, you know, Dushan, I like the idea. So if you want, um, I can show you a building where you can start it. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, it's happening. <laughs> so he took me to a building that's, the best views on the island. It's like on the highest point of Roatan. You have amazing 360 view of that. And he told me, you know, this was a school before, Montessori school, but they are moving to a new place because they were growing in numbers. So the place will going to be ready since July this year. And if you want to, we can strike a deal and you can start the academy here. I was like, oh, wow, this is, this is amazing. But I needed to do a lot of thinking. Because, you know, it, it would be a huge change of lifestyle. You know, we needed to move there for a while. Um, a lot of investment would need to go there. So we spoke a lot with my colleague, with my girlfriend, either to do that or not. And in the end, we decided that let's do it. Let's start a new chapter and let's start uh, the Bitcoin Academy in Prospera. Because, you know, one of the reasons I decided to do that is that I want to focus on education. I don't want to focus on fighting the government because they hate Bitcoin. And in Prospera, they are the opposite. They love what we do. They are incorporating Bitcoin to their processes so we can help them a lot. Wow. And we have a bunch of support from them. And the other reason was that Eric, as, as the CEO of Prospera, uh, they were they were objectivists. You know, they were Ayn Randist, um, people that, you know, they read um, Atlas Shrugged and all the books Fountainhead from Ayn Rand. And we were speaking, you know, an hour about libertarianism, objectivism, Ayn Rand, and all these ideas. Wow. And I told them that I founded a company, John Galt uh, LLC in Slovakia. So we're we're having a lot of uh, great time speaking about the ideas. So I realized, you know, we had similar values with people. And, you know, maybe, you know, um, university in Guatemala, Francisco Marroquin University. Have you heard about that? No. It's it's like the most libertarian university in the world. Um, oh, I, and the I founder, actually, I, I interviewed a guy called um, called Rishi, who's part of Bitcoin Lake, and which is okay. Lake Atitlan in in Guatemala. And he went to a university yes. there, which is probably the one you're discussing, which will be the the, the kind of libertarian um, university there. Yes, yes, yes. That's probably it. And um, the grant kid the grandson of the founder of the university is one of the founders of prospera gabriel delgado okay amazing guy amazing guy from guatemala and his his uh, grandfather he, he knew personally hayek so they were friends together so i was like oh my god these people they're amazing you know they, their ideas their visions so i i wanted to be part of that because i think that something interesting and incredible is happening there and I just want to help with my part with Bitcoin education, with what I love, and just to be part of the of the place. Fantastic. Well, go for it. It's a it's a very cool sounding project, I must say. And it, it's so interesting, isn't it, that this concept of jurisdictional arbitrage and you know the, mm -hmm. the country that you're born in isn't the country that you have to live in. And this is connected to my yeah. comments earlier about having digital wealth. You know, you can travel mm -hmm. anywhere in the world with a set of if you need to seed phrase in your head, I mean, who's mm -hmm. going to know what your little USB device you're wearing a Trezor t-shirt. I see like no one in Boston <laughs> yeah. walking into a country is going to look at your Trezor and be like, arrest him. Cause he might be a multi-billionaire Bitcoiner. You just, you wouldn't do that. 
and yeah. um it's interesting because the only way that these governments that have in so many ways clearly become extremely powerful bloated irresponsible unaccountable mm. is people leave stop paying into the system i'm out yeah. And when there are actually genuinely viable alternatives, like what the picture you're painting is pretty cool. You know, Honduras is not a, a country that necessarily would strike me as somewhere that you'd be looking to move to um, on the global on the global picture. But mm-hmm. what are the details? Well, the details are, you know, beautiful Caribbean island, don't have to pay tax, set up in a, a kind of liberal way, and it's actually separate to the mainland Honduras itself in Mm -hmm. terms of a jurisdiction okay this makes more sense and that whole concept of like talent pools talent funnels um you know like countries that are very good at education they don't necessarily keep that talent afterwards and become entrepreneurs because they go to different parts of the world it's the same concept Mm -hmm. but like the money you use now that bitcoin exists you can be your own bank as you mentioned and therefore all of these Mm -hmm. different locations are now becoming completely viable spots to set up and create online businesses wow Okay, well, look, very best of luck as you build that out. Um, we're drawing to a close, Dushan. Already I've taken up uh, almost an hour. So <clears throat> what I'd love to know is just a kind of final set of questions, I guess, is um, where do you think this is all going? So the the Bitcoin mining you've got going on in Paraguay, your project in Honduras, like what makes you excited about the next five years? Mm, I mean, I'm really excited about um, setting up the academy and, and teaching people and really what we want to build with MTH Academy is uh, to teach educators or to educate educators so that we can uh, bring more Bitcoin education to the local communities without you know, us being present there and doing it on a on decentralized uh, basis, but decentralize it in a way that we, we want to provide tools, know-how, skill set for Bitcoiners who are passionate about education in their local communities. Um, so in in five years, I, I want to see more academies. I think the next one will be in Paraguay. Um, probably maybe one in Slovakia one day. I don't know. Um, but this is what makes me what makes me really excited. You know, um, speaking with people, the local Roatan uh, people, that they are excited about Bitcoin in general. They want to learn, and you know having more and more people being onboarded. I set up a huge, you know, the mission and, and vision of educating 100 million people about Bitcoin by 2030. And that's like, that's a huge number that uh, every time I, I speak about it, I'm saying that I'm a big fan of exponential function. So I believe, you know, the highest numbers will come last year and last two years. Mm. So right now we are building basically the infrastructure, you know, the academy, the know-how, the knowledge base, uh, the networking, the, the financial, um, you know, arm of that, that they can finance the education things. And, and this is what I'm, what I'm excited about, to really aim to this vision and to, to create as many Bitcoiners as possible, because I think that will create more cooperation in the world, more understanding, more um, like lower level of oppression and more sovereign individuals. Yeah, wonderful. It's a great, it's a great vision. I love that idea of teaching teachers. So you're 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 enabling. Well, so there's that story, isn't there? It's like if you if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Mm-hmm. If you teach a man to fish, you feed his family forever. And it's the same yeah. kind of concept, isn't it? It's, it's like okay, if, well, if we can teach you to teach other people, and you can teach those other people to teach other people then mm. you know boom off we go so and, and actually let's let's highlight that slightly so 100 million people by 2030 will be as a result yeah. of your teachings how does that exponential function work so when you run the numbers on it so if you do i don't know 100 teachers this year how does it work up to 2030 to become yeah. 100 million i don't have the numbers now i don't have, <laughs> okay. I don't have the numbers i i never did the, did the like concrete calculations of this but I will. <laughs> I will, I will no, you, you should, because it, it, it but... probably wouldn't be impossible to actually show. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, of course, it's going to be very difficult to follow who you taught and who they taught and to actually prove that, you know, it was a result of your program. But I love the, the lofty goal is always a good one. Well, Dushan, thank you so but much for your time you know, today. It's like, it's like uh, 100 million is like eight zeros, right? So 10 to the power of the eight. 
um, and we have basically eight years to go. Mm. So if we if we do a hundred and all of the hundred will do hundred, yeah, hundred. So we get to hundred million in the end. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that might be one way of looking. Wow, at that. awesome! And God knows where the price will be by that stage. And you know, yeah. wow, there's so much to be built as well. And well, Dushan, <laughs> final question is: uh, Where can people reach you if uh, if they want to get in touch and learn a bit more? Yeah, uh, I'm I'm responsible. Not responsible. I'm, I I reply on, on Twitter. So METH um, at METH um, on Twitter. That's our our company, and my profile is uh, Dusan underscore Matuska uh, on Twitter. So people can reach out to me there, and we can get into communication. So any help, any tips for the academy for education is is super super. Um, um, I'm super excited about receiving those. Brilliant. Well, Dushan, thank you so much for your time today and really appreciate you joining me. Thank you. Thank you, Jake. Bye. My pleasure. Well done, friends. You made it to the end of the episode. I couldn't be more grateful for you sharing this time with me and putting your energy into this project. If you like what you hear, please, first and foremost, share it with your friends and family. Getting the message out to those around us nearest and dearest, I think is one of the most important things we can possibly do. On top of that, wherever you listen to this, please rate, subscribe, share, etc. I'd really appreciate the support there as I try and build out this podcast. And lastly, I'm looking to build a network of startups and founders in this space. So if you know anyone that's interested in building a business and is looking for investment, please send them in my direction. Thank you so much, guys. You've been listening to Bitcoin with you. Thank you.